Good morning. Hands up who ventured out into the wet and cold yesterday afternoon. Oh, one, one. Oh, no, no, a few more, a few more. Okay, fair enough. I was, about to, I was about to say, with the exception of Philippa, you were a bunch of wimps. But no, that's good. A few of us did, good. We went down to Tilbury Fall. And it was really good. I've never been there before. It's, it's, it's a fascinating place. Loads of history. It's, it's one of these places. Sometimes you go to these places and it's a bit disappointing. So you get there and you think, wow, when, when I was told it was a ruin, it, it really is. It's just a pile of stones. And you have to use a lot of imagination to work out what was once there. But with Tilbury Fort, you don't. It's intact. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really um, good afternoon out. Great way to, to, to kill a few hours, um, especially with kids, but even without them. But we got there and we looked around and most of it is outside. And being in Tilbury, um, it's, it's right on the water, as you'd expect the fort to be. And um, walking around the ramparts, battlements, whatever you call them, whatever you call them on a fort, walking around there, the winds coming off the estuary was, was bitter. It was freezing. And on top of that, it was driving rain as well. And I had done the typical thing of wrapping Timothy up until he was like the Michelin man, could barely move. He was well insulated, and I'd just taken a light summer jacket. So, well, it, it, was, it was supposed to be waterproof, but... So I, I was standing there shivering, and he was running around like it was the middle of August. And um, Jo is far more sensible than me, she had wrapped up, and so I was thinking, God, this is horrible, this is freezing, oh! Um, and, and we spent a couple of hours wandering around, and I, I, was, I was numb with cold, I, I, I feel the cold, and um, I, I certainly felt it yesterday. But we got back um, into the, um, the, the, the sort of the, the gift shop. And there were a couple of members of staff from English Heritage who, who are responsible for it. And we were talking to them, and they told us a bit about the history and some of the things that go on, some of the things that have been filmed there. It was really interesting. But the lady said something which really struck me. She said, have you been here before? And I said, no, no, we haven't. She said, oh, oh, she said, in the nicest possible way, I wish you hadn't come today. <laughs> she said, because when you see this place in the summer, when the sun is beating down and the sky's blue and the water, even the, even the estuary, it's hard to imagine, even the estuary looks nice. She said, it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful. I love it. But you come on a day like this and it always concerns me. People will go away thinking, I'm not going back there. What a horrible place. Which I must admit, until she said that, was pretty much what I was thinking. The reason I thought I'd start with that story this morning is because in the passage that we're looking at today, in the passage we've got, Paul is writing to a very young church. He's writing to the Colossians. And he's reminding them of how we should operate as a church. The way we should treat one another, the way we should treat people outside the faith, the way that we should conduct ourselves even when no one's looking. And the reason I thought I'd start with the story about Tilbury Fort is because had I not had that conversation, I would have left saying, it's a very interesting place, but I don't think I'll go back there because actually I was soaking wet, I was freezing, it was miserable if I'm honest. I was soaking wet, freezing cold, I wasn't, I didn't really enjoy it. I, I did stop and read the things, but you know, you, you get to the point where you just think, I just want to get back in the car and get home, I just want a hot cup of tea in front of the fire. And so I didn't really absorb it all. I didn't make the most of it. I didn't, I didn't really... I can't tell you an awful lot about the history of Tilbury Fort, even though I spent a couple of hours looking around it. If a church... If a church 
lets itself exist in a state where there are clouds hanging over it, where there is a cold draft flowing through it, where spiritually there is an unease, where someone comes in and feels that cold and feels that that isolation and feels like they just visited some sort of forgotten fort that stuck out in a a filthy estuary in, in the back end of a county that to the rest of the country is a joke. Suddenly, they will think, I'm not going back there. Even if, even if we say, oh, come back when the sun's shining, when everyone's smiling, when, when we're not clouded by, by, by issues, come back on a good day, it's lovely. Even if we say that, they won't. So today's passage carries with it a lot of guidance, a lot of instruction, a lot of good, healthy, positive things that we're going to celebrate But there's also that hint of a warning as well. That we are God's billboard. So we're reading from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 12. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's some great great phrases in there, isn't there? It's It's a passage that is rich in the essence of what it is to be a Christian. But there's also some things in there that's easy to miss. You see, sometimes we can get so familiar with a piece of scripture that, that we, we, can, we can miss a little gem in there. And there's one of these right at the start of this passage. Because Paul starts by saying, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's, that's the way that he, that he, he categorises the people in the church. That's the way he categorises the people he's writing this letter to. And the reason that that's important is because throughout the Old Testament, so often we see the Israelites called God's chosen people, God's holy people, God's beloved. These are three three titles which, as soon as, as, as the church 
in the, uh, sorry, as soon as the Colossians read this in their church, as soon as they shared together this letter, these words, that would have rung alarm bells. That would have rung alarm bells because the Israelites were God's chosen people. And in the early church, there was this insecurity, this struggle to accept that, that it wasn't just the Israelites now that were God's chosen people, that through Jesus, anybody could accept him, come to faith in him, and be counted amongst God's chosen people. In effect, the choice, one of the things that Jesus did was take the, the choice, not not take it away from God, but he said, God's made his decision, God's made his choice. He, he chose the Israelites to live as his representatives, as, as the model, if you like, that, that he, he had, he'd planned for all others to see and to, to buy into. But it didn't quite work out like that. Because the Israelites, just like us today, were fallen people, were sinners. And so actually God's, God's plan for them, they didn't take the opportunity And so, the early church was struggling with this idea that actually the choice now is not on God's side to choose, choose some people and not others. The choice lay with each individual person, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, it didn't matter. The choice to follow Christ lay with the individual. The idea of being born into the right, the right tribe or nation, the right family, the right status, going through the, the proper rituals, circumcision and, and the other rituals that, that the Jewish law had, had demanded, that was all gone. Instead, each individual person had to choose to follow Christ. And so what Paul's doing here in this passage is hammering home. Therefore, as God's chosen people, regardless of who you are, if you've chosen to follow Christ, you are now part of the chosen people. And that's true for us today as well. When we choose to come and worship, when we say, Jesus is my saviour, I give my life to him. When we confess our sin, when we fall to our knees and we say, Lord, I am not worthy, but I choose you as my saviour. You are the core of my life. When we give ourselves to him, we become part of God's chosen people. The love and devotion that we read about, um, that God shows to, to the Israelites in the Old Testament, suddenly that applies to us. Isn't that incredible? Suddenly we can read those words and count ourselves amongst the recipients. So this is important. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, whatever one of those, of those titles that God used for his people in the Old Testament, this now applies to you. You are good enough if you choose Christ. But of course, we're not into universalism. We don't believe that it's that simple. We don't believe that because Jesus died on the cross, everyone will get into heaven. 
there is a decision to make. There is a decision to make to live a life that reflects our faith in Christ. And so Paul picks up on this. Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. It's one of those passages of scripture that I, I pull out every now and then when I'm, when I'm speaking to a non-Christian who, who's, who's critical of the faith. And I say, well, you know, tell me what's bad about the Christian faith. And they'll bring up certain half-baked arguments that they've heard, a little snippet here, a little snippet there, none of which actually hold much water when you really test them. And you say, okay, well, look, do you think it's good to be compassionate? Do you think it's good to be kind? Do you think it's good to, to show humility, gentleness, patience? Are these not positive attributes that even the secular world promotes and says these are important? Well, if you don't believe in a God, why? If you don't believe in a God, then, then what is the point of being gentle? It's the survival of the fittest. I'm sorry, mate. If you, can't, if you can't defend yourself and keep your wallet in your pocket, I'll have your cash. Because I don't believe in the repercussions. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to give my time to charity because if they haven't got food on their plate and money in their bank accounts, that's their problem. I'm going to look after myself. But actually, most people, most people don't think like that. Most people don't have selfishness to that degree because that's pretty distasteful, that's pretty unpleasant. Why? Because inside each and every one of us are the fingerprints of a creator God who loves us and who put love in us, who made us to appreciate compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, Paul goes on, bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. There's a challenge. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I'm sure anyone who's ever been to a wedding will be familiar with the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul talks about love and he finishes up. These three remain, faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul is consistent in his writings that, that we, without genuine love for one another, we cannot hold together in the Christian faith. We can, we can have acts of kindness here and there, and that's great. We can, be, we can be humble sometimes, but every now and then we'll get it wrong. We can be gentle, we can be patient, we can do all these, all these good things. But actually, none of us are perfect. We will drop our guard and get it wrong from time to time. We all have these, these moments of weakness. Sometimes we misjudge things. But actually, what Paul's saying here is if we all have this love that binds us together, then when someone else isn't very patient with us or doesn't show an act of kindness, because we love them, we forgive them like our Lord forgave us. And so suddenly, the onus isn't on the person to 
to beat themselves up and feel bad and to, to feel crushed by the weight of their own sin, which we can, we can all feel that sometimes, but suddenly the power of forgiveness shines through. And forgiveness has to be motivated by love. Genuine forgiveness is motivated by love. Christ on the cross is, 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 is the most striking image of love. But it's also the way that we are forgiven because Jesus was motivated by love for us. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Quite often when I, when I used to work up in the city and um, we'd have a, a minor crisis, um, the phrase was often said, and it was always in good nature, people appreciated it, I was never um, really dragged over the coals for, for, my, for my attitude, but I always, um, I always remember several times being, being told, you just, you just couldn't care less, could you, Madders? You just couldn't care less. And the reason for that, of course, I, I did care. I cared about you know, our team and ultimately keeping my job. Um, I cared about how well we did and that we, we did things well. But the re- what people meant was I didn't let myself get stressed about things. If we lost a client or if someone made a mistake, or if, if, if something, something was done which shouldn't have been done, or shouldn't, or vice versa, um, I didn't let it bother me too much. Because I worked in insurance, and I couldn't get excited about it. Now, some people can, some people do, and there were career builders out there who, who really wanted to, to get to the top, and that they were all very concerned about their image and everything, and they were the ones that got stressed out. They were the ones that got stressed out. They were also the ones who were in the office at six o'clock in the morning and didn't leave the office until ten o'clock at night. They were often the ones who saw their kids every other weekend and whose wives were a distant memory. We have to be careful what stresses us out. We have to be careful what it is that worries us, that, that gives us that sense of anxiety. We have to be careful what, what we spend our nervous energy on. You see, I took it as a massive compliment when in the middle of a, a, a team crisis we might be about to lose a big account or something like that and someone would just, we'd go for a, a beer after work to talk things through and someone would say, you just couldn't care less, could you? And they didn't mean that, that I was unprofessional, that I had a bad attitude, they just meant that everyone else was, would lose their heads and I'm not saying I was the image of calm, but what I am saying is that I still left the office on time to get home and bath my little boy because he's more important than, than an account in a team in the city. I still made sure that at the weekends my phone was switched off because I didn't want to be disturbed. I still made sure that my priorities were kept as best I could in line. And I saw so many people getting that wrong. I saw so many people letting themselves be be stressed and dominated by what in effect were pretty minor problems. Pretty minor problems. You lose an account, you replace it with another one. That's just the way things work through. And the reason I can stand here and say that is because every Sunday I would be reminded of the importance of having Christ at the centre of my life. Not work, not worries about income, team income. Instead, the peace of Christ 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. In Philippians 4, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. That's how we can attain the peace of Christ in our hearts. By recognising this, this thing's really burdening me. What do I do with the burden? I hand it over to Christ. I give it to God. And so through prayer, through prayer, it's a discipline, it's not easy to do because so often we can, we can pray, look around us, nothing's changed and we still feel like we've got the burden. It's a discipline to be able to pray and then think, God's got me. God's got me. If somebody comes into a church and they don't feel the peace of Christ, it means that the members of the church have allowed their own feelings, their own problems, their own burdens to pollute the atmosphere. One of the reasons why I love this fellowship is because ever since the first time I came to preach here, long before I felt a call to ministry, I walked in and it was a, it was a friendly welcome. It was a smiling, peaceful welcome. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud to stand here and preach to a congregation where I know that, that people come in and, and get a warm welcome. That's brilliant. Especially considering that we don't have a church building, people walk into a school. That, that, that sense of welcome, it's not because they're walking into a church building where they've got the psychological security of, of their childhood or, or anything like that. They're walking into a school. If they had a childhood anything like, me, like mine, then school is not, a, not something that conjures up images of happiness and, and security. But we do that, and we should celebrate that. I'm proud of that, and I think we all should share that pride, that when people walk in, they experience the peace of Christ. At the end of verse 15, Paul's got this little isolated statement three words, and be thankful. It's a slightly odd sentence, really. You were always taught at school, weren't you? Never start a sentence with the word and. Paul could easily have just had a comma and then just carried on, but instead he puts a new sentence there. And be thankful. And the reason for that is because that can be taken in isolation, that can be taken out of this passage. Whatever you've got going on in your life at the moment, describe it to God, give it to him, express it, moan about it, rant and rave about it, say, why on earth is this happening to me? And be thankful. Because we've all got things to be thankful for. The fact that we're sitting here today, the fact that we're looking around us and it's warm and, and we've... we've, we've eaten this morning and we'll 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 eat again today and we've got shelter to go home to. We are so privileged. Many of us would have driven here this morning in cars that cost money. We've We've got income. We can afford things like that. We are so privileged. There is always something to be thankful for. There is always something that God could say, okay, you think you've got nothing to be thankful for? Well, your car's going to break down tomorrow. And then you'll realise that you should have been thankful for that or you're going to lose your job next week. Give thanks to God. God gives us these things. The least we can do is show gratitude back. 
And Paul puts in this little isolated statement because he's saying we should, we should, be, we should clothe ourselves with, with the compassion, the kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive each other as God forgave us. We should put on love which binds us together. We should let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We should do all of these things and be thankful. Be thankful to the greatest provider that we have. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom. I love that statement because it gives us license to admonish one another. It gives us license to to have differences. It gives us license to say, "Hmm, I'm not sure you're right. I'm not sure I agree with you, Tom, what you said today. That's great. That's a sign of a healthy church. The difference is, in the secular world, that's when trouble starts, that's when arguments kick off, that's when, that's when there's friction, that's when people fall out and go their separate ways, that's, where, that's how you get families that are split and never talk to pe- each other for years and years and years. Because in the secular world, where the word of Christ doesn't dwell richly, admonishment leads to confrontation, which then leads to division. In the church, where the word of Christ dwells richly, admonishment, driven by wisdom, leads to an appreciation of one another. The variety that we have within the church. It's not always easy to do. It's not always easy to accept. I've been admonished before and haven't really liked it, to be honest. But it's a test of a church when that happens. It's a test of a church. It's a test of what binds us together. Is it simply that we enjoy singing songs? We have a love of of fun worship? Is it simply that we have a love of coming together and and talking over a cup of coffee and a biscuit afterwards? Is it simply because we're a bit lonely at home and we like seeing people on a Sunday morning? They're all good things. They're They're all great things. But if they are the things that bind us together, then that's their bonds that can be broken. If love is what binds us together, if love is the cement between the bricks in the church, then it's going to take a lot more than admonishment to break down those bonds. That's why Paul is so insistent that love is the key. Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Ephesians, Paul writes, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's slave or free. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. That's one of my favourite Bible verses because I find that if I'm... Let's take, a, let's take a silly, simple situation. If I walk into church one day and David says to me, Tom, Gus, make us a cup of tea, and just walks away. And I think, a bit rude. No, make your own. Oh, no, don't, don't talk to me like that. You didn't even say please. If I take offence, 
I'm not going to serve David because I don't want to. Because he's not showing me the respect that I think I deserve. But instead, if I take that Ephesians 6 verse 7 approach, serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving the Lord, not man, then suddenly, whatever David says, even if he says, Tom, you work shy, lay about, get in the kitchen, cup of tea now. (laughs) I'd love to hear David say that. Um, (laughs) Even if he was to say that, then I'd think, well, it's no skin off my nose. God, I'm not doing this for him, I'm doing this for you. Because if God, if, if Christ was to return, walk in and say, excuse me, can anyone make me a cup of tea? I'm gasping. I'm not over for a couple of thousand years. You know what? There'd be a stampede to the kitchen. We'd be offering him decaf, herbal infusion. Would you like skinny? Would you like fatty? Would you like it black, white, brown, whatever? What, you know, sugar, sweetener? What would you like? I'm honestly the best cup of tea the world has ever known. I'll go to India and grow it myself. This is, this is such an opportunity. I'm serving God. Well, Paul says, take that attitude in everything you do. Take that attitude into every situation in life. You are not serving man, whether you love the person or whether you despise them. You're not serving them. You're serving God. And so for that reason, serve wholeheartedly. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. So let's not allow ourselves to be clouded in our judgement, whether it's in church or whether it's outside of church. doesn't mean we have to be pushovers, of course. doesn't mean that we can let people walk all over us and take advantage. But it does mean that we have that edge. Why, why are you doing that for so-and-so when I've just spoken to, it, to you like that? <laughs> I'm not doing it for them. Bible says serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving God, not man. But you know what? Blow them. I'm serving God. Yeah, I'm making a cup of tea. Fine, there you go. I'm serving God. That sort of attitude gets us through life. So to finish this morning, let's just remember this week. We should express ourselves in terms of peace, love, kindness, gentleness, patience. All these things are fantastic, but let's make sure that we feel a sense of genuine love for one another. That that binds us together. Genuine love. So that whatever we face, whether it's as a congregation or whether it's as individuals, in our families, with our neighbours, with our friends, whatever it is, if we feel genuine love for people in the same way that Jesus felt for the people that he met in his ministry, then we will find we're not offended by the world. When the world looks at us, they see someone who acts differently. They see someone who serves wholeheartedly despite the way the world treats them. And when they ask the question, It's because we're not serving the world. We're serving God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage and for the the rich and sound advice that it contains. Lord, thank you that we do have this opportunity to count ourselves as your chosen people, your beloved, your, your holy people. 
And Father, while sometimes we, we struggle to appreciate the gravity of, of what that means, Lord, we do acknowledge that it at the very least means we can come before you and serve you. So Lord, we pray that as we go into our, our week, whatever it involves, whoever we meet, whatever it contains, may we make sure that everything that we do, we do as an act of service to you, whether it's, whether it's something as mundane as washing up, may we see it as an act of service to you so that everything we do is done to the best of our abilities. Father, may our whole lives be an expression of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.